Welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by. I'm Pastor Carl McLaughlin from Calvary Pentecostal Church in Euless, Texas. We're located in Dallas-Fort Worth, where 8 million call DFW home. Whether you're tuning in to Sunday or Wednesday's message, we pray that you will find words of encouragement. It is our mission to provide a positive and encouraging voice in the midst of uncertainty. I pray that you will be blessed by today's episode. The Upper Room Podcast. We are grateful that you're with us today. This Wednesday, Pastor McLaughlin taught on the spiritual pursuits that it takes to build a spiritual home. Godly homes are not built by passive people. It takes intention. Who, what, when, where, and why are you pursuing the things that you are pursuing? Understand the effects of where you are walking and the imprints you are leaving behind. This episode is full of wisdom that we hope you find encouraging. While you're standing, if you would like to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 through 14, and then we will also turn to Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. And what I'm going to do is begin tonight and through the month of August, focus on families, family matters. My, my, my theme is building a godly home. And, and tonight I will focus on spiritual pursuits. The next class or next lesson that I teach will be on relationship attachments. And, and we will address specifically in that lesson um, an attachment that produces secure children that then can close the gap so that they can have healthy marriages as opposed to um, unhealthy attachments that produce very, very insecure children that then can set them up for marital discord later. So it really matters what happens in your home when they, are, when, when they come into the world. Um, when you look at the ages and stages of human development, um, according to many theorists, but more importantly, according to theology. And, and so what I would like to do is touch on that, and we will talk specifically about attachments, security, insecurity, and how memories, how memories are shaped and how they impact your future if you don't, if you don't overcome uh, memories that hold trauma inside of them uh, because they will come into your future and sabotage your future and they'll manifest themselves in marriage and in future relationships and you don't even know why and and so what we'll do is we'll take a look at that we'll, we'll break it down we'll analyze it and then we'll apply scripture to it for transformation but um, I'm reading tonight out of first Timothy chapter 6 verse 11 through 14 but you O man of God Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness, or in the King James Version, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed, and the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God, who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing. 
And then Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. And important in these passages is this one word that I want to focus on, godliness. And then from there, what should happen and really will identify six spiritual goals that every family in a Christian home should be pursuing based off of this passage. But for the most part, we're going to be talking about building a godly home. Can we pray together before you're seated? I love you, Jesus. I thank you so much, Lord, for godly homes. I thank you, Lord, for the apostolic home. I pray that you would strengthen every mom and dad. I pray for every adolescent. I pray, God of heaven, for all of our children. I pray for our young adults. I ask you, God of heaven, to please place your hand of power on them, Lord, and let your will be accomplished in their life. We love you. We love you, Lord. And everyone said in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. Godliness can be understood most simply as a God-likeness. God-likeness. The word godliness is used 15 times in the Bible, and 11 are found in the New Testament. A quick survey of godliness in the scripture teaches us that godliness is a spiritual pursuit. It is, it's not necessarily a destination that you arrive and then you're there. It is a constant progression forward. It is climbing the ladder. It is pursuing something. And this is why the Bible said, he said, but thou, O man of God, flee these things, but follow or pursue these things. Put your running shoes on. Get Dress yourself so that you are not um, uh, cumbered about by many things and make sure that you have what it takes to pursue. And so what we will do tonight is take a look at six spiritual goals for every family to pursue. And here's what I would ask. Rather than me just teaching this, I would ask you to do a couple of things as godly families at Calvary Pentecostal Church. Based on my teaching, I would ask that you find a passage of scripture and memorize it. Um, I've spent some time here and I thought, well, Lord, if I'm going to ask them to do that, I better do it first. I can't ask them to do something I've not already done. That's poor leadership. That's not good leadership. And so I came into the sanctuary today, this afternoon, and spent some time in prayer. And my prayer consisted of Bible memorization and quoting what I'm newly learning. And, uh, and then trying from those points, these six points. So you want to see if I can do it? I just started today. Let's see if I've got it. So it's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. But thou, O man of God, this is KJV. But thou, O man of God, flee these things... And follow after righteousness, godliness, faith. Did I get it right? Love. Patience. Look at these Bible quizzes. Did y'all study this? Did y'all do this? And meekness. The sixth is meekness. 
Okay, so you got it here. We need it here, and we need to put it on our hands. So here's what I would say. If we're really going to develop some godly homes, take this teaching, and then maybe you make it a daily devotion. Maybe you've you got to put it into practice, and so maybe you memorize the passage together. Maybe you take one of the six pursuits, and you define it and talk about it as a family. Dads, I would strongly encourage you to be the leader. If you're in a single-parent home, obviously, whether it's a mom or a dad, take the initiative and lead the charge. You don't have to make it long. You don't have to wax eloquent. All you have to do is memorize a scripture and talk about a word in the Bible and make that commitment. And so I would ask us to push ourselves in growth. Godliness is a lifestyle that must be pursued and passed on to the next generation. What we pursue, what we consume, and what we internalize is what we will reproduce in our home. Ezekiel describes ungodly leaders. So if our pursuit is godliness, let's study the opposite for just a moment and let's take a look at what Ezekiel said, how he described some ungodly leaders. And th these were under shepherds and these under shepherds led very poorly. We can plug this into the family system and say to moms and dads, you're the leaders of the home. And so we can learn from these under shepherds who were very poor leaders in the book of Ezekiel and say, man, if they made that mistake and God level judgment on them I don't want to repeat that in my home because you reproduce who you are so Ezekiel describes ungodly leaders that impaired and impoverished those following and can be likened to influence in the home I'm reading Ezekiel 34 18 and 19 this is what the Bible says and he's speaking to leaders he's speaking to shepherds he says and he's, I mean, you, you catch the Lord talking through Ezekiel and there's a little bit of sarcasm coming across. It's like he uses this sarcasm to hit him and say, man, you need to snap out of this behavior. Listen to how, listen to how it's written. Is it too little for you to have eaten up the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the residue of your pasture and to have drunk of the clear waters that you may foul the residue with your feet. And as for my flock, they eat what you trampled with your feet and they drink what you have fouled with your feet. You're getting the influence, you're getting the negative influence here. He's saying, shepherds, you've got some wrong motives here. Poor leadership saying, man, you, you know, you, you want everything to be great for yourself, but you're not even considering the paths that you're walking down. You're not even considering where you're going. You're not even considering what you're picking up in culture and bringing it back into the home. Or in this case, bringing it back into the church or the, the temple. And, and literally what was going on, imagine now that you're out in a pasture. And there's some cows and, and, and there's some goats and there's some sheep. And you're out in the pasture and you've got your boots on. And you're walking through there, and man, you're just having the time. And you know, you look at you look at the first fruit, and you'd reach over there, and it's like you start chewing on grass. No, not really, that's not. It's wheat grass, and you need it for. And you're walking through this field, and you, all of a sudden you go, Ugh. yeah, oh well. You keep walking, and then you come to the place where there's water and you know that the people you're leading or the sheep that you're leading have to drink out of that water. 
You have filled yourself with clean water, but because of where you've walked and the things you've picked up along the way, you've soiled your feet. And when you soiled your feet, you contaminated the water. You didn't even have enough forethought to say, I would rather have it better for them than for me. I would rather drink the contaminated and my own children have something pure to drink. I'm not going to be the kind of dad that walks around in sin in this world, bring it back into my home and say, kids, drink where I've just been. Can I get some help in this place right now? Come on, moms and dads. You've got to make up your mind. You're going to be godly in this world. You're going to be godly on your job. You're not going to step in all kinds of stuff and bring it back into the house and make your own children drink of the fowl that your feet are carrying. Can I get some help in this place? We need moms and dads willing to build a godly home who are willing to walk in holiness so that whatever's on your feet is not going to contaminate your children but will lead them into the highway of holiness. Come on, mom and dad, where you go matters. Who you talk to matters. Who you associate with matters. Your life outside the home and outside the church matters. God leveled the boom on them. He said, man, you need to get that stuff off your feet. Because you're bringing it in the church. And then he expected other shepherds to confront those who were bringing trash into the house of God. Look, if you had a pastor who would not stand up when unrighteousness tries to walk through those doors, and say, oh, well, they, just, they got a lot of trash on their feet, but who cares, man? Just let it stink in here. You know what you would be doing? Brother McLaughlin, are you going to do anything about that? Not because there's an intoxication with power, but because there is a love for the people of God and for the holiness of God. And so absolutely we have to do something about it. If somebody brings trash in on their feet, we can't let it come into the church. Can I get some help? Somebody work with me. But here's the deal. Church is secondary. Take care of your home and we'll never have to worry about the church. Don't expect me to be the bad cop in your family life. You take care of it with your wife. Wife, you take care of it with your husband. Parents, take care of it with the children and come to the house of God with clean shoes. That's what he said. He said, he said man, Look at you, shepherds. You feed yourself well. You don't even care if you're polluting the environment. He said, I'm going to replace you. That's what he said. I'm going to replace you. In fact, when you study out the shepherd motive in Isaiah and in Ezekiel and in Jeremiah, you will find that the Lord says in the millennial reign, I am going to be the shepherd that you never had in the world. Is what he's saying. The word feet is used four times in two verses. It implies the importance of how a leader, a mom, a dad, an older sibling walks and the power of the imprints left behind the walk. If I, was in a, if I was in Sunday school right now, 
And we were all at Calvary Kids, and I could do whatever I wanted to. I would take a bunch of baby powder, and I would put baby powder. I'd, make, I'd almost make a, 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 a little puddle of baby powder. And then I would say, Lucas, take your shoes off. My Lord, boy, what size shoe are you wearing? Son, 13. He's got to order extra large from Amazon. And I would say to him, Lucas, I want you to get barefooted and I want you to step in that baby powder. Why? And then I want you to just keep on walking. What's going to happen? Everywhere Lucas walks, you're going to see the imprint. Whatever that substance is, if it's not baby powder, whatever that substance is, you leave an imprint wherever you go. You know what they did to our children? I think they still do it. I don't, I, I'm sure they probably did it with Brielle. But when they come out of the womb, they take that ink and they put their feet on there. And they press their feet in there. And then they put it on the certificate. Because they want an imprint. And you always have that imprint. You can't get it off. Are you working with me right now? Some of the things that we imprint on our children's memory, we can't get it off. And we need the Holy Ghost to get inside them. I want to make sure that where I walk, I can look back at my three children and their spouses. And now my granddaughter can say, I want to walk that way. I want to make sure it's not contaminating the environment that I'm producing as a dad, as a grandfather, and as a pastor. We need to pursue spiritual goals of righteousness, godliness, faith, love. Patience, meekness. He said, they drink what you fouled with your feet. The filth that was on the bottom of the feet contaminated the water and left a polluted environment, a terrible taste, and a sick feeling in the flock. We've all been there. We've had to drink of a polluted life before. When we're faced with dealing with things in the family, you know, it's like they did what? Oh, that's sick. They went where? They tried to do what? Can't even stomach it. So out of character for them it is. Thou, O oh man of God, flee. Run as fast as you can. And I'm getting ahead of myself. But we need to learn the principle of flee to follow. You've got to run as fast as you can. And when you're leaving imprints and when people are having to drink out of your life, let's not let it be polluted in a polluted environment that they can't even survive out of it. Don't let your behavior, mom and dad, embitter your children. And they don't love the church and they don't love ministry and they don't love God because they saw inconsistent footsteps in your life. Better for you to not have any children than to have children and make them drink that kind of stuff. Can somebody help me in this house right now? 
You say, well, my God, we should, have a young, we should have a youth group and a younger generation on fire walking in holiness. Mom and dad, are you on fire walking in holiness? Because you're leaving footprints. You're leaving an imprint. And if you're carnal, they'll be carnal. If you're backslidden, they'll backslide. If you're sinful, they'll be sinful. But if you're on fire, mom and dad, if you'll set yourself on fire, mom and dad, we'll have a younger generation that says, I want to walk that way. I want to talk that way. I want to drink out of that water. Can we clap our hands and give him praise right now? I'm talking about a spiritual pursuit. We're going toward righteousness and godliness. I have some questions tonight. Who are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? Where are you pursuing? How are you pursuing? Why are you pursuing that? You'll see statue, I saw this little meme, I thought it was pretty cool. Statue of the son was made using pieces removed from the statue of his father. Representing the sacrifice parents make to build the lives of their children. Grant, where are you at, man? Tremendous job as a musician, giving your life to Jesus Christ. Yeah, you do really well. And you may have skipped a couple of homework assignments to practice on your keyboard, you know, through the years. I, I, I've got one of those. And I'm really proud of the way you play and how sensitive, but more importantly, your godly character. Who you are as an individual is so much more important than what you can do on this keyboard or what you do on that organ. And it's because you got a mom and dad who walked the right way. It's because you got a mom and dad who said, here are the steps. Might not have always agreed with the steps, but they remained consistent and faithful. And that's why they got two children living for God, doing things like this. Come on, moms and dads, let's build some godly homes. Let's create an environment that sets our children up for success. Let's create a church environment that sets them up to be anointed, to be powerful, to be used by God. Godly pursuit has two directives, flee and follow. But you, O oh man of God, flee these things and follow or pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. The context was in relation to money and false teachers. In other words, wrong values and wrong relationships. When he said that, when he said flee these things, well, what, are they, what were they supposed to flee? The first thing they were supposed to flee is false teachers. Second thing is the love of money, which was the root of all evil. And when they became... Um, owned by the love of money, then they would fall into many hurtful lusts. It wasn't money, but it was the love of money that became their God. And when money became their God, then you see that, that they would fall into many hurtful lusts. I've said this before, but because I'm teaching on, on shaping and building godly homes, let me say it again. Typically, and I don't know this about the lady side of it, I've not really ever looked at that, but I know the man side of it. When a man falls morally, historically, I don't know who pays tithes and who doesn't pay tithes in this church. I don't look at that kind of stuff. But, but when a man falls morally, and I've ever asked, Sister Leah, 
Brother Randall, can I see their tithing report? Can I see their giving report? There is a gross failure in their faithfulness to tithing and offerings because money and morality go hand in hand. And that's simply because it's not a money issue. It's a heart issue. It's not a currency issue. It is a theological and a spiritual issue. And when our theology is right and when our spirit is right, our money will be right. We'll own it. It won't own us. And when you, when you don't, when it owns you, other lusts begin to own you. And you'll start coveting and lusting after things. There's only one that we need to chase after, and that is Jesus Christ. Be faithful in your tithing. Be faithful in your giving. Be faithful in your commitment. Be faithful in your marriage. Be faithful to your God. Be faithful in your finances. Pursue righteousness and godliness. That's what Paul was saying, Timothy. Get away from those false teachers and get away from those money lovers. All they talk about is how much money they want to make and how much. Well, what about teaching a Bible study? What about reaching a soul? What about being faithful on Wednesday? Oh, yeah, but I got to work late because I got to make more money to pay. Well, yeah, well, you really are paying. When those kids quit church, when those kids quit church, and they probably won't quit until they get into the young adult age. Because they, they reach an age where they can make their own mind up. When they bail on the truth, that didn't happen in the young adult age. That happened in the formative years. When they saw major inconsistencies in the home. And those seeds were planted inside of them. So when they hit the adult, young adult age and they could live on their own, now they're making their own money. They don't need you anymore. They're gone from the truth. Didn't happen there. Happened way back here. All the other kids were going to Camp Calvary, and they had a sporting event going on Sunday. They had something else going on on Sunday that they had to skip church. I'm just talking about building a godly home. I'm talking about being faithful to the house of God. This is what he said, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3 through 6. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, um, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means for gain. From such do what? From such what? Getting a chat for them and hash it out constantly. Get away. Don't let their paths and what's on their shoes contaminate you. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness is a daily pursuit by people of God to be like him. Godly homes are not built by passive people. It takes initiative. It takes intentionality, it takes conviction, and it takes endurance. Godliness is not so much a destination as it is a direction, and it's moving toward a God-likeness. So let me point out a couple of things. We, we, we must teach our families 
not all running away is a sign of weakness. May I underscore that? Teach your children. Not all running away is a sign of weakness. You know what we, we tell them most of the time, don't run from it. Stand up, go through it, don't run. And, and normally that's right. But not all running away is a sign of weakness. We must teach them that fleeing is a mark of wisdom. And it may mean victory and their spiritual salvation. Joseph fled when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife. Sometimes running is the best thing you can ever do. Don't sit there and talk to Potiphar's wife. Run. Because that's the wisest thing you can do is run. Flee, man of God, flee. Flee, child of God, flee. Don't even sit there and have a conversation with her. Run. Don't even sit there and have a conversation with him. Run. Run as fast as you can. But don't just run randomly. Run into righteousness. Run into godliness. Run into faith. Run into love. Run into patience. Run into meekness. And pursue spirituality with everything you have in your might. So sometimes running is a mark of wisdom. And it means victory. Joseph fled and here... Paul is telling Timothy to flee. Flee people that don't use wholesome words. Flee from people who are looking to just dispute over little issues. And they always keep something going. He said, don't waste your time with them. They're small thinkers. they got to run people down. Let me just tell you something. If someone's always running people down, they're just really showing how shallow-minded they are. And all they can do is talk about people. Now, I just don't have time for that, ladies and gentlemen. Let's talk about vision. Let's talk about Bible studies. Let's talk about Leo getting baptized tonight. Let's talk about some powerful things that are happening in the church. Let's talk about building a family life center. Let's talk about sacrificing for the kingdom of God so that we can build, not because we want brick and mortar, but because the church is going to grow and our young people are going to want to follow our footsteps and they're going to want want me to take them down in basketball. I mean, you know... I'm going to be on my cane taking them, taking them to school. They're gonna call, you, know what, you know what you're going to call me? I mean, by that time, you guys are going to be married and have kids. You know what your kids are going to call me? That old Pastor McLaughlin. Man, we call him bus driver. You know why they call me bus driver? Because I take them to school on the court. <laughs> cane and all. I used to do that to my boys. Man, when they were little, when they were little, I was left-handed, I'd back them up. We had the goal out in the garage, or in the, the driveway. I'd back them up, I'd back them up. I said, boys, it's hard to defeat. It's hard to defeat, because I just do that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar hook shot. Well, the problem is, I quit growing. <laughs> and the problem is, they're both about 6'4". And they're like, yeah, come on, Dad. Hard to defeat, boys. Hard to defeat. I'll never forget the first time I tried that on them. And I was like, and they just went, bam, put it right back on me. Hard to defeat, Dad. (laughs) 
He said, Timothy, you need to run. But, but listen, don't just do it for yourself when you go back into these churches in Ephesus. Timothy was responsible for the church in Ephesus. Titus was responsible for the church. Listen. Listen. When we come to church, there's got to be something in us that says, I'll flee. He said, from such, withdraw thyself. We must teach our families not all unity is good and not all division is bad. Families in godly homes must take a stand against false doctrine and ungodly practices and separate, flee, withdraw, and run. Why? Why is this important? It's not only important now, but listen, not only is it important now, but it's critically important to, to develop that in their character because there's going to come one day where there will be eternal separation and division. So if we can teach them now when they're young, if we can teach them now, separate, run, divide, separate, run, divide, not all division is bad, then one day, one day there's going to be an eternal separation and division. And let me read the scripture to you. And you need to teach your children this passage. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all of the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations. This is worldwide. And he shall do what? Separate. Separate them one from another as a shepherd does what? Not all separation and division is bad. We need to teach them it's good. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This isn't, this isn't a random event from the foundation of the world. He said there's coming a day, which I believe that this is after the seven-year tribulation and right before the 1,000-year millennial reign. And I am pre-millennialist. I believe that the rapture will happen and then the seven-year tribulation will occur. Following the seven-year tribulation, the last three and a half years, the abomination of desolation will occur in the last three and a half years will be the great tribulation or the woes that Matthew talks about. And then the Lord will come. It's his second coming. Right there is when this happens. Then shall the king say to them on his right hand, Come into my kingdom that was planned from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry. And you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was strange, a stranger and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when saw we you hungry and fed you thirsty and we gave you drink? When saw we the, a stranger and we took you in or naked and we clothed you? Or when saw we you that were sick or you were in prison and we came to you? And the king shall answer and say to them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Now, here comes the, the goat judgment, the sheep and goat judgment. Then shall he also say unto them on his left hand, this is separation and division, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil 
and his angels. For I was hungry and you did not give me any meat. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not come and visit me. Then shall they also answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When were you a thirst? When were you a stranger, naked or sick or in prison? And we didn't minister to you. Then he shall answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And notice what he says in verse 20, or excuse me, 46. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. You fighting separation and dividing yourself from the world right now, you need to check your spirit because hell's working on you. You fight separation and holiness right now, it's Satan trying to wear you down so that ultimately in eternity you're cast into everlasting fire or everlasting punishment. But if you fall in love with holiness, if you like boundaries, if you like being separate from the world, if you like being divided because you're light and that's dark and you fall in love with this kind of holy lifestyle that when that day comes you're the sheep and you're going to enter into everlasting life we need to fall in love with a separated lifestyle and touch not the unclean thing so that he will receive us unto himself we're building a godly family we must teach our families separation without godly pursuit becomes isolation with no growth. Okay, this is important because, because we're real good at separation. We're, we're real good with fleeing from some things. But what are we doing thereafter? Are we growing? So what we need to be teaching, and this is where I would challenge you to go home, whether it's this little devotion or you take something to set your family on a trajectory where... A month from now, three months from now, there's marked milestones where you and your family grew together in the spirit. We must teach our families separation without godly pursuit becomes nothing more than isolation with no growth. Paul lists six qualities every godly home should pursue. Number one, righteousness. This is personal integrity, which literally means to be whole. W-H-O-L-E. You cannot be holy until you first become whole. It's the righteousness of God that plugs the gaps. Not allowing anything or anyone to produce inconsistency in doing what is right. It also means virtue and purity. The focus is on doctrine that defines how a person is right with God. In other words, we don't measure ourselves among ourselves. It's doctrine that measures righteousness. It's not culture. It's not friends. It's not a counselor. It's not a therapist. It's not a pastor. It's not a coach. It's not social media that measures righteousness. Doctrine and the words of Jesus Christ measure righteousness. We must pursue the doctrine and the words of Jesus Christ if we want to be godly people. And this is why Paul said it in 1 Timothy 6.3. If anyone teaches otherwise, 
and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. And to the doctrine which accords to what? Hmm? Godliness. That one God message that Dr. Burt taught last Wednesday, thank you, Brother Burt, for teaching so profoundly and in an awesome way. And the doctrine that you hear taught every single Sunday, it ought to accord to godliness. According to the Bible, when this teaching goes forth, and this is why it's important for a teacher to use scripture when they're teaching and preaching, it's the words of Jesus. When we use that and we teach doctrine, the outcome should automatically be a personal integrity that does not allow inconsistency in our lives. And if there's any inconsistency, we correct it and we become less and less and less inconsistent and more and more and more consistent in our walk with God. Number two, godliness. The pursuit of reverence. This is what it means. Godliness, the pursuit of reverence and respect for God that produces a holiness. Can I just throw out some real practical things? Respect for the house of God. Respect for the sanctuary. Respect for the foyer. Respect for the, the multi-purpose room. Respect for everything. Respect for the instruments. We didn't buy this with our own money. They said, oh, yes, we did. You just gave us a financial report. Uh-uh. We are not an owner of anything. We are managers of what God puts in our hands. And if God gave us the ability to think, to work, and to go out into society and be productive saints of God, we come back and contribute to come to a place like this, we better respect the house of God. This is a holy place. We need to teach our children. Let them be children. But we need to teach them proper respect and proper honor and reverence for the house of God. It's godliness. Respect those who are made in the image of God and the way that we talk about other people. Did you notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25? He said, when you do it to the least one of these, you've done it to me. That's good and bad. When you do things really good for others, you do it unto Jesus. But when you speak badly of others, it's like you're speaking badly of Jesus because we're made in his image. We should not be running each other down in a disrespectful way. We ought to be respecting one another and valuing one another and building each other up with our words. It's just being godly. Respect. You ready for this, kiddos? All right, all right, boys and girls. Respect the house rules in your home that are set to honor God. Respect authority that represents God. Third is faith. It's better translated faithfulness. It's been well said that the greatest ability is dependability. I just don't have the ability to do it. I, don't, I feel like God's wanting me to do something. I just don't have the ability. Do you have dependability? Because I've seen a lot of people that have a lot of ability, but they're not dependable. <laughs> but if you can be dependable, God will grow your ability and your giftedness. Yes. Jump in and get after it and do it. Faithfulness is consistent and dependable, which produces trust. When you're there for your family, and I don't know how, I don't know how, how in the world I can emphasize this. The greatest gift you can give to your children is be faithful to your spouse. Please hear this pastor right now. It's the young girl that tried to commit suicide. 
with tears running down her face. She went to the therapist and said, why did you try to kill yourself? She said, because my dad cheated. My dad cheated on my mom. And he, he, he committed sin with another woman. And this is what the little girl told the therapist. Said, my mom is the most beautiful woman that I know. And if she was not pretty enough for him, I know I will never be pretty enough for any man. There's no reason to live. Understand where you're walking. Understand what's on your shoes. And make sure that the imprints of that home are faithfulness to your spouse. Faithfulness. Physical faithfulness. Faithfulness with your eyes. Faithfulness with your mouth and the way you talk to other people of the opposite sex. Faithfulness. Be faithful. The greatest gift you can give to your children is be faithful. Because it lets them know one day when they get married, my spouse will be faithful to me. Can we clap our hands? You have no idea what you're doing to the future when you're unfaithful. When you make your own rules up about how much you want to come to church and not come to church. Have fun right now. You sow to the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. Party it up. Whatever you're doing on Wednesdays and Sundays when you're not here, have fun. But you're sure making some imprints. You're sure making some imprints. Sure making some imprints. What do you mean you don't want to go to church? What do you mean you don't want to go to you? What do you mean you're... Why? Mom and Dad, I'm just following your steps. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. A lack of faithfulness produces mistrust. Your kids, I mean, not when they're younger, but when they get older, they won't trust you because you're inconsistent. And then when they don't trust their spouse, they don't trust their authority figures, that was produced in them in the formative years. Are you with me? This is why he said we need to pursue some things. Flee those, but whatever you do, put your running shoes on and let's pursue faithfulness. Be consistent. Be dependable. Produce trust in the environment. When you're there for your family, this produces a secure, I'm just introducing the thought, we'll emphasize it later. This produces a secure attachment and produces secure children who grow into resilient men and women. They may not be able to tell you, you're really turning me into a resilient man right now. They don't even know that that's happening. But when you are faithful and consistent and you provide security and they know they can trust you, there is an attachment that happens, a bond in that family structure that then, based off of that trust, it builds security in them so now they can become a resilient, productive man or woman in the future. Let me break it down. Monday, Brielle got her shots. Poor baby. You remember when your baby first got the first shot and that little, and that lip turned and the jaw just, just shook, 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 shook. 
I was talking to John Michael, and John Michael said, Dad, it was so sad. Said Brielle got her shots and said she just started crying, little crocodile tears, man. Little, for the, for, you know, these tears are running down her face. And, and said right when that happened and she experienced the pain, she looked right to her daddy for protection and safety. Why? She has already learned I can trust him to be there. This is based off many, many theories of human development. From zero to 18, they learn when I cry, I can trust you. That's why one of the most important ministries in the church is the nursery. So why is that? You let a child go without changing the diaper. So this is real, real. You let that happen long enough and they get rashes and they get it, go into pain. It conveys to them, I cannot trust you to take care of me and mistrust is already being produced in them right there. When they cry for something to eat and they are neglected, that right there is producing something in them. I can't trust you to take care of my needs. When they're in pain and they cry out and we're not there to help them and we just leave them because you know, mom just doing what mom did when she was growing up and mom was a partier, so you're gonna be a partier. And we leave the kids at home all by themselves or we leave them with someone who molests them. Somebody come to church with me right now. We're not trying to build ungodly homes, we're trying to build godly homes. We're trying to build godly homes where our children can trust us that we are going to protect them. That if they get shot and something happens and those crocodile tears, I don't care how old they are, we're going to be there to help them and take care of them. You know why some of you don't trust anybody in your life? Because when you were being shaped and developed in these stages, somebody wasn't there for you. Somebody wasn't there for you. You got these trust issues. I got trust issues. I got trust issues. I can't trust anybody. That's because our lives are like that block of Swiss cheese. And each one of those stages of development, if it, nothing, if it didn't happen accurately and correctly through secure attachments, we got gaps in ourselves. We act out in such ways as adults that we missed out and had gaps. This is why we're doing teacher training from 6 to 11 find out what the six to 11 year old needs in Sunday school at Calvary Pentecostal Church and provide that because if they can come to this place and they know from nursery forward, if it's a dirty diaper, as crazy as that sounds, but, it's, but we say, you know what, because we love people. But then they go upstairs to Sunday school and they're going into class there and that teacher is there and that teacher's taking care of them and they're reciting scripture and they're saying, hey, this is a safe place. You can trust us and you can also trust Jesus Christ. You know what that child's gonna wanna do? Come back to Calvary Pentecostal Church because they feel safe and we have taken time to understand what stage they're in and develop them appropriately, cognitively, emotionally, skill sets, but more importantly, with the power of the Holy Ghost. When they get the Holy Ghost, they've got to trust this environment before they'll throw those hands in the air and say, I want you, Jesus. But when they trust the environment, they open up to Him and we have revival. That's why church, church service can be very healing and fill in those gaps that we missed out on in our home life. 
You can stand with me, please. You know what that is? You know what's going on with little Brielle right now? What a therapist will tell you? What a counselor will tell you? And say, this is what's going on right now. Is It's called firing and wiring. What's going on in their little brain? Can you imagine? Those nurses come in, man, they look like monsters. <laughs> They're there to help Brielle, but man, they got a needle in their hand. Are you there, Dad? There, Dad. What's going on right there? There's a firing of neurons. Firing of neural network. When you reach out to them, it's wired in there. I can trust you. I can trust you. If we're not there, that also gets wired in there. Can't trust anybody. Never trust you. It gets wired. The firing, this is all biological. The firing, wiring. Then when you do it repetitively, when you do it repetitively, and there's affirmation that comes with it, it solidifies patterns. And that pattern has memory stored. And in that thought pattern, it reinforces behaviors, good or bad. That happens all through life. Consequently, a person gets divorced, they get remarried, 60%, 50% divorce, 60%, second marriages, 75%, third marriages. is that? The traumatizing firing and wiring it went into the neural pathways, the neurons solidified that pattern of thinking. One little issue crops up. He's just like my first. She's just like her. No, they're not. But we magnify it because that's the way we've been trained. Let me just tell you something. When we get the Holy Ghost, when we get the Holy Ghost, when we worship God, the same firing and wiring happens that literally repatterns our neural pathway so that when we used to have mistrust, now we trust Him. Because when we got shot with a needle and we're in pain and we cried out, God became flesh and came into our world and said, I'm right here and I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I will be with you always. That's why when you come to church, it better be the one of the most beautiful services we've ever had where there is a wiring and a firing and there's a brand new thought pattern inside of us that said, I love church. I love God. I love feeling the Holy Ghost. He repatterned me. I've been renewed in my mind. He took the old things and made me a new creation. That's why I didn't do what my dad did. I didn't do what my mom did. 
Man, first time my wife and I had a fight. Firing, wiring, behave the same way. They could be gone, but it's called transference. And whoever's in front of us, if we don't dissolve and repattern, they get it. They get it. And it's not them, it's her or him or them. Because we never let the Spirit of God set us on a trajectory to pursue. Flee. Cut these things out. I want to open the altar. open the altar here's what they say when you're building a godly home they said man guys did your age I thought Eva Kate was a junior the other day I thought, I thought Eva Kate was a junior Tom was like pastor no you know the series of ups and downs they go through in one day They go to one class and they feel like they're the most popular. They go to the next class, nobody likes them. They go to the next class and it's full of stress. They go to the next class and they get affirmation. And they go through all of this and they come home. It's firing, wiring. And this is what they say in these stages of development. The most important thing in their life when they're going through that is a mom and a dad who are consistent and can be there for them. One of, one of the characteristics was patience. We better have patience when they're going through this stage because if we're expecting them to be grown adults, will only close their spirit off and they'll turn to culture to fix the pain instead of a church, instead of a mom and dad, instead of a family system. Be patient with them. They're not going to be perfect. Our love for them, our patience, our righteousness, our godliness, our meekness, faithfulness has to be there more than the ups and downs of out there and when we're there in a stronger sense man those, those, those that electrodes neurons are firing away when they come home man dad's loving on me dad's caring for me that hug he's, he's, so I'm just not the affectionate I will get affectionate I just, my family never hug we'll start hugging because when you do that touch, that touch sends oxytocin, it sends chemicals into the brain that says, I love you, you love me, I trust you. If they don't get it in the home and they hit adolescent age, and in adolescent age, according to Erickson, they're searching for identity, 
or they end up in confusion if they don't find out who they really are. If we don't step into their world right then, if we're not there, we've got to pursue. I made up my mind. I'm going to be a dad that's there. I'm going to be a pastor that's there. Let's be a church that's there. Can we come to the altar? If you'd like to come, you want to pray, and you want to commit to the Lord in a recommitment to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Let's pray together. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. God, we're committed to building godly homes. We're committed, Lord. Righteousness and godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Oh, God, I love you. That's it. Please come. Please come. Wherever you're at in your family, you can start right now. We've all made mistakes. Don't be so hard on yourself. Let's do it together. Oh, God, I love you. That's it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yes. Yes. Let's build. Let's build. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Thank you so much for listening. This service was concluded with a new heart.